You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1223 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's podcast will be getting into, of course, what became a 10-point loss for the Hawks in Game 2 down in Miami. It was probably closer than that throughout this contest. And uh, while it was still a loss and the Hawks are now down 2-0, in the playoff series, best of seven, of course, a lot of positives compared to game one. Obviously, that's a low bar to clear. Game one was a pretty catastrophically bad performance in a lot of ways for the Hawks, even when they had some excuses with the travel and all of that stuff, but it was not really competitive. Game two was much more competitive. The Hawks did play much better in this game. They were they were in the game all the way through. Uh, unfortunately, Jimmy Butler had other ideas for Miami. He was, um, let's just say, fantastic. And this one with 45 points, a playoff career high for a guy who's been in a lot of playoff games. But Atlanta was better. They were competitive. We'll have lots of stuff to get into on both sides, both positive and negative. Bogdanovich almost carried them back into this game. Hawks were down by 16 points, about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. and had a 12-0 run, almost immediately got within three, had a shot in the air from Trey Young that would have tied the game in the final minutes. It did not go in, and from there it was uh, it was all Miami. But still, uh, this was certainly uh, in doubt into the final minutes, and we'll get into how that all sort of affects um, and sort of informs the look ahead to Game 3, Game 4, as the Hawks come back to Atlanta, where they've been very, very good in recent days. So we'll get into the game as always. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard, number one, and also number two, what we do here on this podcast, try to give you the overarching look at every game and then in between games, some more broad analysis, but certainly on these game podcasts, um, pregame context throughout this game. Also, just kind of what transpired, the nuts and bolts, my own opinions and analysis and observations, some player-by-player breakdowns at the end of the podcast. We'll sort of look ahead to game three and game four. Uh, coming into the night, obviously the Hawks kind of trying to rebound from a bad performance on Sunday afternoon. John Collins was off the injury report, ended up starting in this game at center. Um, still no click Capella for Atlanta in this game or Lou Williams. Um, for what it's worth, Travis Schlenk, the president of basketball operations for the Hawks, did a radio interview on Tuesday. If you are a diehard Hawks fan, you will know how these interviews go. Travis usually says some stuff that's uh, kind of aggressive, at least uh, certainly noteworthy at times. And he said on Tuesday that Capella will have a reevaluation on Friday. That does align with what ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported earlier this week about reevaluation. I always stress reevaluation does not mean return. That means they're going to look at him on Friday. We'll see. But he said uh, on the radio that they, they dodged a bullet was the way that he phrased it with Capella. And also, though, he has a small bone bruise is the way that Schwenk said that on the radio with regard to Capella's knee. Um, maybe some swelling there for Capella. He has to, has, to, has to get his strength back in the knee. But they're hoping for better news over the weekend. Obviously, you know, they play a game on Friday. He's not going to be playing Friday. I'd be stunned by that. So I guess maybe best possible case scenario, he plays, on, he plays on Sunday in game four. But alas, the Hawks certainly miss Clay Capella. I said that a lot in game one. It was the case here, too. If the Hawks had Capella, this, this series would be a lot more competitive so far through two games, I'd imagine, because Capella does a lot of things that the Hawks just don't have anybody else to do. And he's so good at certain aspects of rebounding and diving into the rim and all that stuff defensively. Alas, he's not been out there for the Hawks. Miami was at full strength in this game as well. They were some guys that were actually questionable on the injury report, including Bam Adebayo, who ended up playing. Didn't play very well, actually, by his standards, but he played in this one. And Bet Online, our sponsors and friends of the podcast, make made the Hawks a seven and a half point underdog 
in this one. Uh, they actually did not cover. Um, I'm sure Hawks fans that took that line, not exactly thrilled because the Hawks were probably in position to, do, to cover that spread until the very end, but they did not actually uh, sort of pull that off at the end of this one. Um, the first bit of interesting sort of observation here is that John Collins started at center in this game. Now, I wasn't surprised at all by that. Um, we saw in game one that essentially with Al Capella, Nate chose to play either Collins or a Collinwood center for all 48 minutes. And by the way, that happened again tonight. But the thing is, they did not play him at all at the four. He was basically the starting center and the primary center in this game. A Collinwood did not play super well off the bench. But um, I didn't mind it. I think getting Collins out there, even in a piece of sort of in a, in a reduced state as he is right now, he's not his full self. I think that's pretty obvious physically. But still, he's out there and uh, giving them more than they've gotten some other places for sure. Starting him, playing him at center, I had no problem with that whatsoever. And he gives them a lot more offense. We saw um, in this game, especially when he was out there on offense, they were just much more uh, effective beating switches and all that stuff as we talked about yesterday on the podcast with Tower Jones. So um, I like that decision from Collins. It's more aggressive. But uh, he played 29 minutes and no signs of slowing down. We still do not know if he has a limitation. I'm sure he does on some level. But uh, he played almost a regular workload in this game, which is uh, worth noting after only his second game back from the injury. Um, the Hawks did score first in this game, actually had a great possession to open the game, had a Kevin Herter three-pointer, and then, of course, they missed their next six shots and lost kind of the plot a little bit offensively. They had a lob to Collins that he usually finishes that he couldn't make. They missed a couple of good looks on jump shots, and then Miami scored 10 points in a row to, to, to go up by seven points at the outset. Um, I thought the process, though, throughout the game was better on offense for the Hawks. I thought Trey Young did press a lot through this one. He actually he, he sort of did found his stride at times as a scorer. That's to be fair. He actually was better in this game than he was in game one, but some turnovers for sure. Um, Miami kicked the ball around a little bit early on in this game. And as a reminder, just broadly to inform this dialogue, the Heat actually struggle mightily with ball security. Number uh, This season, they were number 28 in the league. That's third worst in the league in turnover rate on offense. They do turn the ball over a lot, whereas the Hawks were number one in the league in turnover rate. And uh, spoiler alert, the Hawks had more turnovers in this game than Miami did. And Nate McMillan, at the end of the game, um, said number one on his list, basically. He led the press conference talking about how the fact that they cannot turn the ball over like they did in this game. I would agree that was a huge, huge point of emphasis in the negative direction for the Hawks in this one. That was the case really throughout the contest. Um, rotationally, as a note for you from the Hawks, they only played eight guys. Um, for the most part, there was a little bit of TLC when they had to use him. He was the ninth guy, played three minutes. Uh, there was one possession in the first quarter where they got Trey off the floor for a defense only, only trip. It was a, a good decision by McMillan. And then there was a point later on, which we'll come back to, where Hunter, Herter, and Bogdanovich all had serious foul trouble. And in order to avoid getting them any more foul trouble, they brought in TLC for two more minutes. He doesn't have um, too much heft to guard Butler, but at least he was their best option other than Hunter. It's kind of a very low bar, let's just say, but that's why they brought him back in there. Otherwise, though, eight minutes, eight, eight guys who played in lots of fouls throughout this contest on all sides, including Miami. The Hawks did lead, actually, late in the first quarter. Miami scored about three points in like almost four minutes. Defensively, it was pretty attentive along the way. It looked a lot more like the first part of game one than the rest of game one. Throughout this game, they were pretty good defensively. I know Butler got off, and uh, he's, a, he's a star player. If you, if, and by the way, Jimmy Butler, I'm not um, – as high on him sometimes on his offensive game. But I'll say this, if he's making jump shots, which he was in this game, he's very hard to stop because that's the thing he has not been able to do the last couple of years is make jumpers, especially threes. And in this game, of course, he made jumpers, and that makes him very difficult to defend. Um, he had, had a big run late in the first quarter at 8-0 to take, take the lead. Hunter, though, I thought played very well early on in this game. DeAndre Hunter will come back to later on with all of the player evaluations. But I thought Hunter, especially in the first quarter, was really aggressive, had nine points. He had a nice tip-in of a pass by Herter. 
at the buzzer to get the hooks back within one. And uh, good to see him kind of come out with, with a vengeance in uh, the early part of this game. And I thought he played well in the first half in particular. The Hawks were down by one at the end of the first quarter. Um, they actually came back to Bogey, who had two fouls start the second quarter because Trey Young had, had to leave the floor as he always does. That's sort of a no-brainer to me, and I'm glad that McMillan did it. But, of course, it actually came back to bite him. Bogdanovich only averages 2.1 fouls per game, which is extremely low for a guy who plays as much as he does. But, uh, basically, Bogey committed a very, very bad foul for his third. He got stripped and had a frustration play that only a, like a guy who's a veteran should not be making. He fouled Gabe Vincent about 80 feet from the rim, and they had to go back to Trey much earlier than usual in the first quarter, sorry, in the first half as a result of that. As a sidebar, the entire game was marred by fouls. There were 19 fouls in this first 16 minutes. There were 50 fouls in this game in 48 minutes. Um, I know there was a game actually taking place during this one. Memphis and Minnesota was even more so dominated by fouls. If you're watching that game on a second screen. But um, I know Hawks fans, I'll just say this now and probably come back to it later on. Officiating was a discussion point, let's just say, on Twitter and other, and other places. I thought the Hawks did not get a good whistle in this game. I don't think it was as bad as some Hawks fans probably think that it was. Um, but there were lots of fouls called on all sides in Miami. Got a couple of more high leverage calls go their way. That's for sure. I don't think the Hawks got, a, got the greatest whistle in this spot, but certainly lots of uh, impact because guys like Hunter and Herter and Bogdanovich and Bam Adebayo and PJ Tucker on Miami side. So that, that's five of the top, you know, 10 guys in this game probably playing all had foul issues throughout the night. And uh, that certainly affects how the uh, game flow is going in this spot. Uh, later on, there was actually a great, probably the best play of the game from McCong. We had a nice steal and dunk in transition. Kind of a reminder of what he can do when he's when he's right. I will say that I will say though he was not fantastic in this game. That was just a great little flash play by him. Uh, the histrionics that happened in the second quarter was DeAndre Hunter and Kyle Lowry were really jawing midway through the quarter. Ended up being a double technical foul. It really didn't really stop there. They actually kept going. And usually DeAndre Hunter is the last guy you would think would be in a tussle like that, especially verbally with Kyle Lowry. But Kyle Lowry is uh, let's just say not shy. He's already had a handful of let's just say questionable plays in this series so far, only even through two games. And he was certainly getting under Hunter's skin. They're both, they're both from Philadelphia. I'm not sure if that was any part of that, but uh, yeah, notable that Hunter was uh, certainly jawing it up with, uh, with Lowry at that point in time, but the Hawks just kept turning the ball over, unfortunately. Um, plus the huge foul trouble. They had 30,000, 30,000 and a half is crazy. 50 for the full game is crazy, but 30 in the first half is just nuts. They closed the, they had to close the half with Trey, Trey Young, DeLon Wright, TLC, Gallinari, and Collins. And Miami had to go to, had to go to Tucker at center with Bam um, in foul trouble as well. And Butler got off against TLC in that brief stretch. Again, not not shocking, but that did, that did happen. Uh, neither team, though, led by more than four points in the second quarter. It was a much sort of back and forth kind of close fought quarter of play. Offensively, the Hawks, as we'll get into later on, struggled at most things except for two-point shooting. They actually were good inside the arc in this game. They had 10 turnovers in the first half. That's really way too many. Uh, Trey had 18 points. Good to see him bounce back. He was uh, not as good in the second half efficiency-wise and uh, production-wise, but Hunter was good before halftime. Defensively, I thought the Hawks played pretty well in that first half. Miami outshot them, but uh, not by a ton. They actually limited the Heat to only 13 three-point attempts in that first half, which is not which is not a small thing. They did foul too much, though, which was a problem throughout the game, really. They first turnovers and played well on the defensive glass, but we'll come back to how that all impacted things later on. Still, when comparing the first half of game two to game one, it was night and day. The Hawks were in the game. They were down only two at the half and certainly sort of took another great shot from Miami and bounced back and were still in the game. We'll get into all of what happened after that in a moment. But before we get to that and everything else for this podcast, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. 
Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, what-constructed frames that are also durable, and premium high-end finishes. And on top of that, Shady Rays has a great protection program that's something you just can't find anywhere else. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection on every single pair, and they will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. Give them a try today. If you don't love them, you want to pay anything at all, it's as simple as that. Plus, with every purchase, there are 10 meals donated to Fight Hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners as well, head to ShadyRays.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. If you do that, 50% off up to two pairs or more of polarized sunglasses. That's promo code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the entire season. That's 50% off on two more two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by 150,000 verified five-star reviews. Check it all out today at ShadyRays.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. 50% off on two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. ShadyRays.com. All right, in an unfortunate tone early in the third quarter, the Hawks committed two turnovers in the first 90 seconds, and that was uh, a little bit of foreshadowing of how bad the ball security would be at times, really the entire game. Um, I will say the foul stuff came back, though. Bam got his fourth foul right away for Miami, had to sit out, which is a pretty big opportunity because Bam is, of course, their second best or best player, depending on how you look at things for Miami. But right away, Hunter got his fourth foul, had to sit. That threw off his rhythm, I thought, uh, in this game. It was a pretty soft call as well against Hunter for his fourth. And Miami pulled up an 8-2 to two run, took their largest lead of the game at that point. And uh, while they did co- sort of counteract that with Bogdanovich and Herter hitting threes, Bogey got his fourth foul almost right away. And he actually stayed in the game kind of out of desperation because they couldn't go deeper into the bench at that point. But it was very clear that he knew he couldn't foul. So the next possession, after he got his fourth foul, he let Butler just waltz into the lane for an easy layup, which is uh, not the greatest sign in the world. And then it became an 11-0 run later on from Miami to go from uh, up by two to up by 13. And that kind of broke it out a little bit towards the heat. Butler was uh, really feeling it at that point. He was three or four from three. And by the way, I believe he shot 23% from three this season. So kind of a little bit of bad luck there for the Hawks. But they were turning the ball over like crazy and uh, certainly scuffling. They were down by 14 later in the third quarter. Miami actually had an open three that would have been at 17. Didn't fall. The Hawks did get back with an eight briefly late in the uh, third quarter. Trey got a technical foul, actually, with about two seconds to go. I didn't bite them because Butler got a miss, got actually missed the free throw. If you saw, I'm not going to repeat it on the podcast. If you saw what Trey said to the official, you will note that that's usually going to get your technical foul, and he repeated it twice. Uh, there was a swear word, and the word trash was in there as well. Uh, you can probably watch that clip if you want to. Uh, I think Trey probably earned the technical foul, even though he was probably right about the complaint that it was he was making. Um, regardless, though, the Hawks were able to keep it in that range of like 10, 12 points for most of, the ha- most of that third quarter. They were down 11 points at the end of the third. And the problem was offense. They had only 74 points on 74 possessions for three quarters. That's not going to be enough, especially for an offense first team like the Hawks. They just got to score. And they had 17 turnovers through three quarters. They only ended up, I say only, with 19, which is still bad. But 17 through three is very, very, very rough from the Hawks. Trey had nine turnovers through three quarters of this game. And defensively, they were able to do their job other than stopping Butler. But uh, they got they let... Miami get a little bit looser with three-point attempts in the third quarter, and that kind of bit them along the way. Um, I will say this just to be positive. The Hawks were pretty good on the glass defensively in this game, but the one uh, negative on that was that they, get, they have a back-to-back put-back buckets to, do, to, to old pal Dwayne Devin in the fourth quarter. That kind of uh, – that, that just can't happen. Dwayne's not the greatest rebounder in the world either, he, although he was good in this game for Miami, I thought. Um, that's just a spot where you cannot afford to do that um, when you're already down by 11 points. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but the Hawks were down by 16 points with nine minutes to go. And then uh, immediately started chipping away. So it was through, uh, 100 after three-point play, which was nice to see. And then they brought Collins and Trey back in, down by 13 points with 8.18 to go. They were only minus two without Trey. That's uh, doable for this team. 
But uh, from there was the biggest stretch of the game from the Hawks' perspective. It was a 12-0 run to go from uh, down 16 to down by 12. Sorry, down by four. Bogey had 10 points in about two and a half minutes. It was nearly 11 points. One of his jumpers was a uh, foot on the line two-pointer that almost was the three. But he went nuclear in the fourth quarter. He was the reason why the Hawks were able to stay close in that fourth period. Um, and it wasn't just the offense either that was good. They played good defense. Miami was 3 of 13 from the floor to start the fourth quarter. And the Hawks did uh, sort of chip away and bogey, obviously, with some haymakers along the way there. Uh, Miami did sort of rebound from there with the 10th turnover by Trey Young, leading to a, a nice easy layup from the Heat to go back up by nine. But after that, the Hawks scored. DeLon Wright, that man again, where he's always doing little things, got a steal on Bam Adebayo. And then Trey made a three and was back to four again. So I'll go a little bit of play-by-play here down the stretch with the Hawks down by four. They finally got Jimmy Butler to miss a jump shot down four and then Trey missed a very easy layup that he usually makes that he would definitely want back. I said that in the, in the I watched the replay again. He might've gotten fouled unless always kind of bumped, but that's a shot he's got to make. He just, he just didn't make it. Um, and then they call timeout. So they're down by four, still plenty of time, like three and a half, four minutes to go. Um, but then they give up an easy bucket to Jimmy Butler on a drive and a drop off to Bam Adebayo. But then Bogey hit a ridiculous, kind of fadeaway curling three in the right corner that was just a, a reminder of how hot he was at that point. Then they got to stop when Tyra Hero missed a pretty good look. And then, as I highlighted earlier in the podcast, Trey had a shot for the tie coming off the curl that was a good look. He didn't, I mean, it wasn't like a wide open shot, but certainly a decent look for Trey that he missed. If that goes in, it's a tie game. It, it doesn't go in. And then on the other end of the floor, Butler goes right by Hunter and Trey for a dunk very easily to go back up by five. Uh, and that was kind of the single biggest like possession swing was that that three into a dunk by Butler. Then after that, Bogey finally missed a jump shot. Uh, he was probably due to miss one, obviously not his fault. Um, but a- after a review and a challenge, Miami gets the ball back down five. And then Butler hits a dagger three off of a curl on the right wing. A pretty crazy shot that, uh, you know, he just was in the zone on this one that kind of just happens. It's a make or miss league in some ways. And that he, he made it. So that's that sequence from mystery by, by Trey to easy dunk to bogey finally misses one to a review that goes Miami's way to Butler making a three goes from up three and maybe even tied to sorry down three and maybe even tied to down by eight and then bogey missed again Butler scored again and it was down by ten with one twenty to go and basically at that point it's over it wasn't actually over the Hawks had a chance but uh, down ten with one with one twenty your odds are uh, let's just say astronomical and the uh, comeback bid kind of stopped there so we'll put a pin in it for now but certainly the Hawks were in this game as I said before they had a shot in the air to tie the game they were still down by only five with the ball with like two and a half minutes to go you're still an underdog there obviously and the Hawks were down for the vast majority of second half so you want to point that out certainly that's a realistic thing to say but um you know they were in the game broadly speaking now offensively in this one I thought the Hawks uh, should be credited for making some adjustments that were notable. I think McMillan, as much as I don't believe in him too, too much as an offensive, like creative guy and like adjustment guy on offense, he made some nice tweaks to the offense in this game. Um, they ran better stuff overall. They had some more, more, more room to operate and generally played better. Their execution was better, except for turnovers, which we'll come back to. But I thought the Hawks did make some good adjustments. They had Collins in particular slipping. Having him play more was certainly just helpful in itself. But they got Trace some more room. They were not as flummoxed by it. They definitely had a plan that was very clear to attack the switches, and they were certainly more effective with it than anything else. Miami's still really good in defense, but the Hawks did play better. Um, not good enough, though, in a few key areas. They were very good inside the arc for this game. 
Um, they shot more than 60% from two-point range. That's excellent. But 12 of 40 from three. And it's just tough for the Hawks to win, especially against a good team on the road when they're 12 of 40 from three. And it would have been worse if Bogey didn't go crazy in the fourth quarter. They were actually below that 30% mark for most of the game. Um, they won the glass on both ends of the floor. That's a positive. But here's the big one. As McMillan said, as I sort of stressed even before Nate did, 19 turnovers and 21 assists. Now, assist-wise, that's not like a terrible number. It's pretty bad. That's well below their average, but certainly not just catastrophic. But 19 turnovers just cannot happen. The Hawks, as I said before, led the NBA in ball security, and the Heat were number 28 in the NBA in ball security. The Hawks' blueprint to win games in the series does not include committing four turnovers more than the Heat did in this game. That, That just cannot happen. Everyone knows it. But Trey having 10 of them on his own is bad enough. But uh, between that and only 14 free throw attempts, that's just a bad way to win win the math battle. Like, I know it's not all about that. You got to make shots too. But if you don't make threes, you turn them all over, and you don't create free throw attempts, you can't win, basically. Not not that you can't, but it's certainly almost impossible to win a game on the road against a good team when you don't do those things. Um, Defensively, I thought it wasn't terrible for most of the game. Obviously, Butler provided them some challenges, I think. One of the reminders in this game is that uh, other than Hunter, who is not always like a dominant defender, I think Hunter has the makings of that, has the physical profile for it, and usually is pretty solid. But other than him, I want to stress it was not his fault. Other than him, they don't have anybody else to put on Jimmy Butler. And if Hunter gets foul trouble or if Hunter is out of the game, uh, it's tough. They can put bogey on him physicality-wise. He's pretty strong, but bogey had foul trouble in this game. Herder is better on guards, but it's not great on someone like Butler, who's like a combo 3-4, big physical guy. TLC is not someone they want to play a lot in this series. So, like, I know it's a tough matchup, but uh, that's a reminder of that. They had some breakdowns along the way for sure. They were more connected, though, I thought, overall. I thought it was just kind of a reminder of their general shortcomings, but I thought the Hawks did play better and play more uh, consistently and more with more energy defensively in this game. Miami, though, did have a 63% true shooting mark. That's obviously excellent. They got to the line for 29, 29 attempts. That's more than double the Hawks. Certainly part of that is that um, they got some calls. But Miami is just better at getting the line. Uh, than the Hawks are overall, especially when you, uh, you know, kind of limit Trey. He's kind of the one guy on, on the Hawks roster that gets to the line a lot. Um, and again, the turnover battle goes to Miami and 20 fast break points for the Heat. Part of that is the Hawks turning the ball over, but um, the Hawks cannot afford to have them giving up that kind of transition stuff to Miami in this spot either. So uh, we'll come back to the individual player evaluations, but certainly as a broad synopsis, the Hawks were better on both ends of the floor than they were in game one, but they also were not good enough on either end of the floor. I think offensively in particular, you can kind of live with this defensive performance from the Hawks because you don't think that Butler's going to do this again, at least not repeatedly in this series. And if he had just been more like his normal star self versus a super duper star self in this game, the Hawks would have been just fine defensively, but the offense, um, this is a team that has to win with its, with its offense. We've seen that all year long. And uh, even against a good Miami off uh, defense, the Hawks cannot have a 106 offensive rating. It's not quite that simple in some ways, but it is very tough for the Hawks to win if they're not going to score even in a league average clip. And they didn't do that in this game. Okay, before we get into the individual player evaluations, a word from our sponsors on today's show. I made it a goal of mine this year to actually eat right and really just eat better in general. I'm having a lot of success with that. And the biggest part of the process is Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier for me to eat better because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars on a regular basis. They have the protein-infused puff bars that are awesome. It's all the other fan favorites from Built Bar. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate, which makes a huge difference both in taste and texture. 
And really, they all taste fantastic. On top of that, though, Built Bar is low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace all of your candy bars Built Bars this year, both in taste and to improve your nutrition overall. Built.com has all the answers to the questions that you're looking for right now, and you won't believe what you see. With most Built Bars, have only 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. With a very low calorie count on top of that. And Bill Bar has longtime flavors like coconut almond, lemon almond cheesecake, as well as new flavors coming all the time. And I've never had a bad Bill Bar flavor. They're all awesome. And I really do mean that at this point. And the best way to check out Bill Bar is to go to Bill.com, use promo code LOCK15. If you do that, 50% off on your order with Bill Bar. That's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Bill.com. We'll dive in now to the player evaluations at the end of the podcast and uh, only nine guys to touch on, really only eight guys, to be honest with you, to get into here. TLC didn't play enough to really talk about. I mentioned before, but uh, having him go out there and try to put the flame out on Butler is tough for him. I think that uh, he was a reasonable guy to try with the foul trouble issues they were having, but not a guy they want to play a lot, had two fouls and uh, just couldn't really contain Butler, obviously. Uh, I thought Okongwu was not a huge factor in this game, and uh, it's been a reminder to some that Okongwu was not quite ready for this just yet as a starter. I think he's fine as a backup guy. I think he's still a good player. He might be the best backup center in the league. But uh, the drop-off from Capella to Okongwu is just like, you know, it's a large chasm right now. Uh, I thought he had a couple of flash plays for sure and rebounded well. I want to say that, um, you know, often when Capella's off the floor, they get killed on the the glass. It didn't happen in this game. So credit to Okongwu for that, at least in part. He had a steal in that dunk as well that I mentioned before. But offensively, he just kind of a little bit passive. Uh, I thought John Hollinger made an interesting point about Kongwu just not having the confidence to go off of one foot. He's kind of had some weird footwork stuff on offense in the uh, course of the two games so far. Maybe just some jitters, too, on the playoff stage. But, um, you know, that, that is what it is. He, just, he, he wasn't great in this game. I thought DeLon Wright was, uh, was good. I know I'm sort of a meme of myself at this point, but I thought DeLon was, once again, quite effective. Nine points. On three five from the floor, one of three from three, got the line twice, made both. Um, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, plus eight. The only guy on the roster that was in the positive in this game, and not a coincidence. I think he probably honestly should have played more. With when it, when it came to the foul trouble issues they had and Gallo struggling, etc. I would have even played Delon even more than he's been playing. He's been excellent in these two games. Unfortunately, nobody else has been very good. But uh, especially even they back to the play, and Delon's been uh, really, really good. Uh, Bogey obviously was fantastic in the second half. And the fourth quarter in particular, he ended up with 29 points to lead the Hawks in scoring on uh, only, only 18 shots. So that's a heck of a ratio there. Uh, seven of eight on twos, five of 10 on threes. No free throw attempts, but had four rebounds, three assists. Only one turnover, had five fouls. But uh, I think defensively, he was not his best. Let's just say he's not always great anyway. But offensively, like you can't argue. He was the one reason why the Hawks made that made that charge late. If he doesn't go crazy, the Hawks probably lose this game by 15 points. Obviously, they lost by 10, by 10 anyway, but... Maybe they'll, maybe they'll lose by 20 if he, doesn't, if he doesn't do it. They were already down by 15, 16 points when he, went, when he started going crazy in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, he's got to have it if Trey doesn't. And then Trey, Trey was better in this game, which, which we'll come back to later on. But Bogey is uh, the number two guy on offense pretty clearly right now. And uh, he had it. At least gave him a chance in this game. Uh, to the starters. The guy who struggled the most was Gallinari. Uh, this is very simplified. I, 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 I do know that as I'm saying it out loud, but it's also kind of true. If Gallo scores two points on seven shooting possessions, he can't play. And they have to play him. I'm not saying they don't because they don't because they do, especially with this current iteration without Capella and Collins playing center, et cetera. There's nowhere to go to take Gallo off the floor, particularly on a night when when everybody has foul trouble, including Hunter, who's their backup four. But Gallo uh, hurt them, let's just say, because Gallo defensively is always quite bad. And he's been bad in the series in two games. And, uh, in game one, he was their best offensive player, and that helped to counteract that. It didn't matter in that game because they were getting blown out. But uh, in this game, Gallo just 
is a tough sell if he's going to score two points on seven shots. But I don't have too much to add from that. I think he'll have better games. He's been playing a lot of minutes recently. Probably more than they want to play him. But uh, credits to Nate for not playing him too much. 22 minutes for Gallo was probably appropriate in this game. He just didn't have much to give them if he wasn't going to make shots. Um, Kevin Herter was okay from three with three of seven, but 0-3 on on twos. Did have six assists and two turnovers, so uh, actually had a pretty good ball security game. Five rebounds, a steal, and a block. He was actually a game worse, minus 17. I don't think that was on him necessarily, but he was on the floor with some of those bad lineups that did not work out very well in the big runs for Miami. I thought he was okay overall. Uh, he did a decent job on Hero and others in the, on the perimeter. And honestly, if you look at the box score, the Heat did not – in game one, actually, it was the supporting guys. It was Robinson. It was it was Tucker, et cetera, that kind of beat them up. In this game, the Hawks did a pretty good job on Lowry, Struess, Hero, and Robinson. It was just that Butler did everything he wanted to. In fact, Robinson played seven minutes, which is a little bit strange after he was so good in game one, but alas. Um, moving on from Herder. Uh, I thought Hunter was good in the first half. He was not particularly good in the second half. Uh, 16 points, 15, 15 shots, and 3 or 3 from the free throw line. So about a shot per uh, – sorry, a point per, point per shot in this game. Not too bad efficiency-wise. Two rebounds, though, always a problem for Hunter at times. Uh, did have a block shot, had five fouls. Again, I don't think he was the big problem defensively. Obviously, Butler got the best of him. But if you watch the play-by-play breakdown, there were some moments when he was certainly not going to be great there. Um, but – between the fouls and everything else, I don't think he was a catastrophe defensively, but offensively he was not ter- he's not terribly efficient. I thought he was really good and effective in the first half, and then he kind of lost the plot a little bit in the second half offensively. Um, people got a little bit mad at me for game one. I don't think he was bad in game one. I don't think he was like a huge difference maker either. And uh, listening to some broadcast, I was trying to watch both broadcasts, the local Valley sports broadcast as well as the national one, so I know what Hawks fans are hearing and seeing. And um, there's this narrative out there that Hunter is this established – uh, score number one and also like this like elite defender and neither of those are true at this point in time i'm not picking on hunter too much there i just think that uh if you don't watch the games every night from the hawks and i've seen every game every minute every minute of his career <laughs> more, more, more than once uh you wouldn't necessarily know that but i think defensively he was the only guy that they had a chip had a chance on butler so that, that's not like i'm not gonna put that on him even if it's uh the, the traditional nba evaluation is like oh this guy was guarding this guy this guy had this many points so it's all this guy's fault and I get that, but uh, I wouldn't say that about Hunter in this game. And then uh, from there, Collins, I thought, played admirably well. 13 points, 10 rebounds, um, two assists, and a steal. It's also very clear to me that he's not his normal self, um, both explosion-wise, um, shooting-wise, all that stuff. Like the free throw line is one of three, oh, one on threes. I don't think he's got his normal shooting stroke right now. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense with the finger being, being banged up as it is. And, uh, you know, clearly they are trusting him to play as many minutes. I think just having him out there, is hugely helpful, and I think he is a lot better than the alternatives. But he isn't John Collins in capital letters. Both can be true, and we'll see how he fares in game three. But I thought he was a positive. Overall, he's just going to have to adjust a little more, obviously, to not having his jump shot and also not be having quite his normal burst after not playing and having, having the foot issue. And then Trey. Uh, when with Trey, as we often do, uh, a mixed bag, let's say. He was better as a scorer. He was uh inter- interesting in terms of like navigating screens and doing stuff uh, he was more more in attack mode in game two 25 points seven assists six rebounds obviously those are really good numbers uh they're below trey's averages but you know he's still pretty good um he was not inefficient either he had 25 points on 22 shooting possessions he was eight of ten on twos actually but only two of ten on threes um the big problem though was 10 turnovers that's tough uh, i'm someone who does not 
really pick on turnovers all that much for the number one option. If you look at the, uh, I beg to make this point a lot, but if you look at the quote unquote league leaders and turnovers every year, the top 15, 20 guys, 90% of them are, are superstars because they have the ball in their hands all the time. The exception this year was, was Russell Westbrook, who's obviously not very good at this point in his career, but uh, guys like, uh, I don't know, Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic and James Harden and uh, the on-ball guys have, Nicole Jokic, the on-ball guys have lots of turnovers. But in this game, you, you can't have 10. Uh, that's That goes without saying. I think that uh, if this was a different market, New York or Philadelphia, he would be getting a lot of heat right now because obviously in game one, he was quite bad. Game two, he was not as bad in game as he was in game one. But you cannot turn the ball over 10 times in a game like this. Um, he had almost as many turnovers by himself as the Hawks average as a team this year. So we'll see. I, I did think on the, on the more positive side, Trey's defense was actually pretty frisky in this game. I thought he gave good effort defensively. Um, he was not a huge, I mean, they were picking on him as they always are going to try to do, but I actually thought Gallo was more of a pick on target than Trey was in this game. I, I thought he was giving good effort, good physicality, and at least scrapping, doing, doing what he can defensively. And uh, again, as a scorer, he was okay. Just the turnovers were, uh, tough to see from, from Trey. I think he'll have at least one, if not two explosive games that are uh, pretty good in Atlanta when they come home. But, uh, through two games, he has not been as good as Butler. And that's been uh, a shortcoming for the Hawks at this point in time. So, Obviously, uh, the Hawks are in a tough spot now. I'm not going to tell you the series is over. I know the narrative and the picking and uh, the national discussion is going to be the series is over. And I, I get that. The number one seed is up, up to nothing. Um, but the Hawks are coming home for two games, uh, uh, three and four. And, of course, you know, the Hawks were 20 and three in the last 23 games at home. They That's probably a little bit aggressive as to what you can expect. But they'll have two full days off between games. They'll have the crowd going on their side. And the Hawks are very much capable of winning both games at home. That would not that would not stun me. It shouldn't stun you if you're watching this team. Now, obviously, uh, no one will pick the Hawks to win the series at this point. That includes me. Uh, as much as Hawks fans want you to pick the Hawks, like I think objectively, you cannot just go out and say, "Look, the Hawks are going to win for the next five games." Can they do that? I believe they. I actually believe they can. Uh, but picking is different than actually saying that they can do it. Um, Obviously, game three becomes a virtual must-win. If, if you go down 0-3, uh, just the precedent there is just uh, kind of against you. Uh, for what it's worth, 538 has a has the Hawks with a 12% chance to win the series. As of this moment, that seems uh, not crazy to me. I might be a little bit higher than that, um, but not that much higher. Um, the betting market, I've not seen bet on lines numbers just yet. I would anticipate the Hawks being a very large underdog uh, in the series. But at home, I think the Hawks might be a very small underdog in game three in terms of like the actual point spread. If you do the math on this, it was seven and a half in Miami. You take away a couple points for home court and then add a couple more to home court for the Hawks. It might be like Hawks plus one, Hawks plus two, maybe even like pick them in game three. So we'll see. We'll obviously have some coverage in between now and then, but uh, clearly it's a kitchen sink game for the Hawks. They have to throw everything they have at game three. Uh, hopefully Trey will have a superstar level game. Jimmy Butler hopefully will miss a shot or two if you're a Hawks fan along the way. But uh, certainly my overall thought process is that I, the Hawks were good enough to win a game today. Miami played well and Butler kind of willed them over the top. Um, if they play better than this, they will probably win game three. Uh, but you can't, you can't assume that. So you got to have to replicate that. The Hawks are due, quote unquote, for an offensive explosion because through two games, they've been pretty bad on offense. This is a team that's a top three offense in the, in the NBA this year. So uh, if you're looking for hope, that is probably going to be where, where it is. But uh, Friday night, under the lights, we'll have at least one podcast, maybe even two, but at least one. I will guarantee you one in, in between now and Friday night's game. And then we'll have, of course, 
our usual wrap-up show after game three. And then the Hawks, by the way, play Sunday as well in game four. That's, of course, locked into the schedule. So Friday night and Sunday in Atlanta. Stay tuned. If you're if you're a local person, I'm sure tickets are uh, going to be uh, flying off the shelves for those two. So we'll see what happens in those games. But um, hopefully that will wrap up today's podcast in appropriate fashion. If you have questions, you can always ask me at BT Roland on Twitter or at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. Please follow those accounts if you'd like to, as well as please, please, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. As I looked before this podcast, we were very close to our 1,000 goal subscriber uh, count on YouTube. Of course, I'm not going to stop you there. I want you to keep subscribing on YouTube and Apple and Spotify, especially. But please, cross over. Even if you're not planning to watch a ton on YouTube, the subscription just helps us. If you want to support the show, that's a huge way to do that. Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, everybody, hopefully uh, not too much panic in the streets here. The Hawks did play much better, which is certainly gives you some hope for Game 3 and beyond. And we'll see you later on in the week.